How are we? Oh, man. Come on. How are we? <laughs> good, good. Um, hey, let me tell you, seriously, uh, there are times when uh, as a body, uh, like being up front, I can hear kind of everybody worshiping, and it like does something in our hearts to hear the people of God worshiping together really encourages me and reminds me even of the goodness and the grace of God. So uh, I'm being serious. I'm not like trying to false motivate you to sing loudly or something. I, I want to thank you for singing to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and reminding even me of his goodness and who he is. Amen. Good. All right. So here we go. We are on week two of our Sermon of the Mount or on the Mount series, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, last week, I have a confession that uh, I impersonated a drunk man while I was on stage. And after service, somebody came up to me and they said, hey, two things. Firstly, you do a terrible impersonation of a drunk man. And so I want to repent of that, but I may or may not have to do another impersonation today. All right. And so just want you to bear with me uh, there, but I really am terrible at it. So Anyway, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to take and keep that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have the Word. And so take and keep that. That's our gift to you. Uh, you can also follow along on your smartphone app. If you have the version app underneath the tab, click on events, type in the Well Austin, and you can follow along that way. Uh, there are notes and stuff like that. You can also uh, take this link. Boom, and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, and so we say this every week, and if you are sick of hearing me say it, that's a good thing. Uh, we want your eyes on the Word, okay? Uh, we don't want to be making stuff up here. Like, we really think that what we are reading are the very words of God to us that if we apply them and hear them and understand them, radically changes our lives. And so we don't want to be cute or fancy when we are preaching, trying to deliver the Word. We want to submit to it. And so we want your eyes on it to see that this is indeed what the Word of God says, all right? And so um, last week was kind of an important week for the study. So uh, if you happen to miss church, I would encourage you at some point to uh, go back online and listen to that. It's just helpful because Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, something that we're kind of used to, or even if we don't have a church background, I've probably heard that language used before. But really what Jesus does is he paces us for the rest of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Really, it kind of surrounds around the Beatitudes in a lot of way that he is just going to continue to hit on this theme that he started with the Beatitudes over and over and over again. So with a quick recap, because it really does influence even what we're reading today, Jesus saw this large crowd of people following him, and then he goes up on a mountain to begin to teach them. Often in Jesus's ministry, as soon as he sees a lot of different people following him, he lays out, here's what it looks like to actually mean to follow me. And so you may like Jesus the healer. You may like Jesus, the, the grace giver. You may like Jesus, but I need to lay out fully what it looks like. Are you willing to, in a lot of ways, pick up your cross, die daily, and follow me? So Jesus frequently gives hard sayings. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with a lot of these, as we'll see. And so last week we started uh, in verse one. Starting in verse three starts the Beatitudes, where Jesus begins to walk through all these different examples. And he starts off with saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for their 
theirs is the kingdom of God. Notice the present tense verb there, are and is the kingdom of God, and all the rest of the tenses are future tense. What we said was, what Jesus is doing is saying, in order to follow me, you have to begin with this poverty in the spirit. You have to begin knowing that you don't have anything to offer, that you can't be good enough, you can't do enough works, you can't uh, be enough of a, of a holy, righteous, put together person to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. You have to be poor in spirit. However, if you are poor in spirit, if God has done such a work in your life where you realize you have nothing to offer and you come to God with your palms up ready to receive from him, what that does is it creates a mourning. Why? Because we realize, oh man, we're, we're kind of messed up. In fact, we're more messed up than we probably would have ever imagined. And the more we think about this, the more we realize we really don't have anything to offer to God. That creates a meekness in us where we are willing and ready to even receive reproof and correction because we know who are we? We don't have anything to give, but that makes us seek righteousness. Verse six, and he says, and if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you seek it, you will be satisfied. Why? Because Jesus is our righteousness for us. It makes us come to the cross of Christ and say, God, we need you. We, we need you to be doing a work in our lives. Once that righteousness begins to take place in our lives, it then moves us to be a different, a changed people. We begin to be merciful with those around us. We begin to be pure in heart, even in our own sin life. And we begin to see sanctification take place. We begin to be peacemakers to those around us. So it affects the way that we interact with people. But, Scripture says, you may be persecuted in the midst of this. And so verses 10 through 12, Jesus says, even though you are merciful, even though you are a peacemaker, even though there's purity in your heart, some people really may not like that aspect of you. And there may be persecution that happens because of your Christian faith. Nonetheless, realize that blessed are you if that's happening. Because ultimately, Jesus was both our example and our fulfillment within that. Jesus himself was mocked, persecuted, though he had no uh, 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 impurity in his heart. He was a completely meek man. He was full of peace. He came and tried to give mercy to all those around him, yet he was persecuted even by us, Scripture would later tell us, that all who are enemies of God have in their own individual way persecuted Christ, yet he willingly went through it as our example and as our fulfillment so that when we receive persecution, we can know that if we stand fast in the gospel, that we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, on that day when we go stand before him. Hallelujah, amen, what a promise. And so we get this beautiful promise. So the Beatitudes kind of walk us through all that. So what happens is, is oftentimes in your Bibles, if you have a physical Bible, there's probably a subheading interjected in between verse 12 and 13. And it says something like salt and light. And what happens is in our mind is we then naturally separate these ideas and act like this is a whole other idea. But the reason why I just recapped all of last week's sermon is because these two are one and the same. Remember, it's the sermon on the mount, not sermons, Jesus isn't giving giving a bunch of different Proverbs. He's teaching a group of people and he walks through this whole thing. So uh, verse 12 and 13 are in a lot of ways really connected. So keep last week's sermon, what I just kind of gave you, in your mind as we walk through this, okay? And let's actually, Matthew chapter five, picking up in verse 13, we're gonna read our whole text for today. All right, so Matthew chapter five, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to give you the main text of this, or the main point of this text right up front. Is that okay? All right. If I do this, you cannot check out on me, okay? You tracking with that? Like, if I give you this, don't like, then hop on Facebook because you have the main point, all right? Oh, shoot. Okay. No main point. I'm just kidding. All right. The main point here, okay, is that Jesus wants us to live out the gospel, both in words and deeds, to the world around us. That, that, that's what this means right here, okay? Jesus wants us to live out the gospel, both in words and deeds, to the world around us, or reach the loss evangelism and serve those around you. At the well, we say uh, exalt, which was a lot of last week's sermon, and then disciple send, or reach the loss, which happens under discipleship, and send or serve Austin, bless those around you. This is what Jesus is saying, to love the world with the gospel, both in word and in deed. And so we proclaim the gospel with word, and we live out the gospel in our deeds, okay? So notice a couple of things here that are here in this text. Firstly, uh, salt you taste mainly and light you see, right? And so Jesus is evoking two of our different senses here. Salt is kind of up close and personal. In fact, it actually kind of has to be inside of the person to be able to be experienced. Like if I had three different uh, white substances up here right now and you were sitting where you were sitting, there's probably an inability for you to realize the difference between which one's salt and which one is something else. In fact, even if you came up here, you may have to taste it. Now I know, look, I literally wrote this and knew what y'all would be thinking when I said this, okay? And I was trying to come up with a joke and I couldn't, all right? And so we'll just have to leave it like it is, all right? But you get to what I'm saying here, right? You wouldn't know the difference between salt and something that will get you in jail and flour from where you're at, right? You'd have to come up and experience it up close and personally. So Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You have to be up close and personal. You have to be able to be literally integrated into that person's life to actually be experienced. Salt is only experienced when it is tasted. And then uh, light you see, and you can see light from far, far, far away. A city set on a hill, Jesus says. So you can see light from as far apart. So Christians are meant to be both up close and personal and obvious and able to be seen at a distance. Both of those should be happening in the Christian life. More specifically to this culture, though, uh, light had a general positive aspect and salt had a general negative aspect to the culture that is here where Jesus is preaching. More than just putting salt on food for taste, which it was used like that. In fact, in Job chapter 6, verse 6, it talks about adding salt to food. Job was the first book finished, actually, in the Bible. And so literally, from as far back as we can see, people use salt to bring out the savoriness, the, the goodness of food. But it was used for much more than that and a more common purpose in the midst of that. It was used as a preservative to stop things from going bad. Today we have freezers and refrigerators. And if you're really rich, you have like five freezers somehow for some reason, right? Like we have different ways to preserve food, but there it was used as a preservative. And then light has in a lot of ways the same function back then as it does today. It was to illuminate darkness or to bring forth the ability to see 
where there was once no ability to see. And so even though the world may persecute you, verse 12 says, all the more you were supposed to be present and active in the world, still providing for it, still loving for it, no matter what happens. That's what Jesus is telling us. Up close and personal and visible from far out, even if they may persecute you, you need to bless the world. All right, let's dive a little bit deeper into each analogy to stress Jesus's point here. Now remember, each paragraph we said last week is a compare and a contrast between the Christian, between the overly religious and the irreligious, right? You remember I said that, that every single paragraph you read, there is a comparison and contrast between the Christian, those who are kind of overly religious and those who are irreligious or don't really care a whole lot about the faith. So there's a difference between those who are trying to find righteousness in themselves that's trying to be a good enough person that's trying to have everything together by yourself which don't think that the overly religious is just those who pray and read the bible and always go to church like there are a lot of people who proclaim atheism who are actually just overly religious they just depend on their own works to bring forth their righteousness they say a lot of secular humanists are in that point and so the overly religious i can be a good enough person to do it on my own at the same time though there's the irreligious where i don't really care about righteousness at all like, I'm just going to go and live life and do whatever I want to do. I, I don't really have that much of a, of a care for it. And Jesus is all throughout the Sermon on the Mount comparing and contrasting these two things and saying the Christian is actually different. He knows that he cannot create righteousness in and of himself. He's poor in spirit. At the same time, though, he deeply cares about righteousness. He seeks it, and in me he finds it, Jesus says. And so you see this even in here. So uh, here is the contrast between the Christian and the world that often and persecutes the Christian. The world is dark, Jesus says. So dark, in fact, that there has to be an external source of light to come into it to illuminate it. There has to be something that comes in that gives light because it is dark in and of itself. And the world is going bad or it is becoming rotten in some ways. And so it needs salt rubbed into it to prevent its decay. Without the salt being rubbed in, there would be a natural decay that happens on this earth. Jesus is saying some pretty hard things here, particularly to a lot of people who are still just trying to seek this whole Christian thing out, right? Like Jesus isn't building a very seeker-friendly church here, right? Like, like Jesus is saying some pretty hard things to me here. Look, you are so bad, you have nothing in yourself to offer. You're poor in spirit. And then he comes on, look, the world is so bad that it's just decaying all around us. And without the influence of salt and light, man, it would be kind of in ruins. And so the Christian is supposed to love the world that actually rejects and persecutes him. The Christian ought to love him still. You see the comparison there, you and the earth, and then you in the world. You see that in the text, right? And so he keeps comparing and contrasting. The you in the Greek is hard to see in English, but uh, is emphasized. It's an emphatic you. It's saying, hey, there's a difference between you and the world and you and the earth. Now, strictly speaking about salt, salt can actually never lose its saltiness, like if you're salt, you're salt, and you're salt, <laughs> okay? Salt cannot lose its saltiness, which is important because this verse isn't talking about like Christians losing their salvation or something. That's, that's not what it's saying. That is impossible to do. Once you're salt, you're salt. Once you're light, you're light. However, salt can become so diluted or so mixed that it actually becomes ineffective, and it doesn't even, it's not even like salt anymore. In fact, it can actually become so mixed that it actually becomes dangerous to those who consume of it. 
And that would happen in that culture. They would use salt and sometimes they would uh, mix it with these other chemicals and it would end up becoming dangerous to the person who consumed it and it could even end up killing them. Jesus is drawing this analogy. So we don't really have time for a chemistry lesson here, okay? Not that I'd be able to give it because I'm from Detroit Public School Systems anyway, all right? But you don't have to know much about science, right? Or to be educated not in Detroit to understand the analogy that Jesus is giving us here, right? Like, Like you have to be salt. Christians are different and they must be different if they are going to be effective in the world around us. Did you hear that? We are different and you must be different if you're gonna be effective in the world around us. Jesus is showing us what? Don't assimilate into the world. You are different. You are in this world, but not of this world, he would say later. There's a difference here. Don't become so much the same that you actually become diluted and to some extent worthless. You're just like everybody else. Some of you are so concerned with not offending the world that you actually end up looking just like the world. Or to put it in other ways, some of us are so trying to act in love and what we call relational evangelism that we never actually end up doing anything and we look just like the world around us in hopes to not offend it, but in doing that, diluting the salt and hiding the light. Jesus is being very straightforward here, right? And that's hard for some of us to receive because we know that, man, this is hard. A.B. Bruce says this, but what a downcome from being saviors of society to supplying material for footpaths. <laughs> Ouch, right? Like, like that, that's hard to hear, but For effectiveness, the Christian must retain its distinction, its Christ-likeness. We can see this in the exact same metaphor with the light, right? You don't hide your light. You allow it to to be seen by all. Uh, We have like a little like port-a-crib type thing in our room that Kyria sleeps in sometimes. And there was one night where uh, Natalie was already asleep. I went to bed a lot later for some reason. And I was using my phone to try to get through the room because, you know, there are like 74,000 bombs in the room called Legos, all right? And so I'm trying to get through the room. And right when I get into our part, my phone dies. And so I can't see anything. And so I'm trying to like feel my way around and you know, my eyes are not adjusted yet. So I'm like feeling around and I end up falling right over this porta crib, jacking up my leg. And somehow my wife didn't even move, all right? And so I don't know what happens when our kids cry. They must be crying for like 12 minutes before she wakes up. But like the light was utterly worthless right? Like it was utterly worthless. Like, like it was hidden in some ways because the phone died. I couldn't see anything and I fell and almost broke my neck, right? Like Jesus is saying, hey, why would you have light within yourself, but then put a basket over it? It becomes utterly worthless. Why do you have light in the first place is what Jesus is saying. And so this is once again hard, but man, he's saying, look, we have to be in the world. John Stott says this, The influence of Christians in and on society depends on their being distinct, not identical. right, this is true. We're not to be like a village nestling in a valley, unable to be seen by anybody except those within the village. We're meant to be a city on a hill or a metropolitan, if you will, on the hill, able to be seen by all. We were in Colorado back when I met Natalie, and this was like when we were kind of dating a little bit. And uh, I say a little bit because it was kind of confusing moment. All right, like, are we dating? Are we not? You know how Christians are. Okay. And so we are, uh, she's driving me up into like this part where you could drive way up on top of everything else. And I think she was taking me up there to like make out with me or something. I'm not really sure what was happening. Okay. (laughs) 
Um, or something like that. I think that's how the story goes, all right? And so we go up to the top, and then we're at the top, and man, you can see the lights for miles around up on the hills. Because if you've ever been in Colorado, you know that all these cities are built literally on these hills. Now, we knew the direction that we were looking was not Estes Park where we were, and so that means the next nearest city is about 30 miles away, and we see these lights very evidently and very clearly. If I was a traveler and this time lost without a car, without a cell phone, without anything, I would just start walking toward those lights knowing that civilization is there. You are meant to be a light on the hill, Jesus says, not to be hidden, but to be shown by all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Now, we may say, but like, like when we step out, we feel persecuted, we feel ostracized, we feel uncomfortable, we feel pushed back, we feel the world kind of rebel against us, and you're right. Like, like you do and you will feel that. That's why Jesus said in verses 10 through 12, blessed are you when those around you persecute you. In other words, you will be persecuted as a Christian, yet you were supposed to love the world still, maybe even all the more because of that. Like we are supposed to be able to be in the world, seen at a distance as distinct and different, yet up close and personal like salt, able to be tasted. We are meant to love the world around us. Jesus said, count it your blessing because Jesus was also mocked and ridiculed for you. Why? As our example, but like we said earlier, also as our fulfillment. Think about this. Jesus was willing to suffer from your hand when you weren't a Christian and when you kind of mocked and persecuted and made fun of him or of the church or whatever it may be, like some of you came to faith really early on, so you may not remember being hostile toward God, but some of you, like myself, who came to faith far later in life, like you can remember times where you made fun of Christians, you made fun of Jesus, you made fun of God, you were doing things that were very anti-God and did not care about that whatsoever, yet he was patient with you. He was salt and light with you. He didn't reject you or hide himself. He made himself that much more evident, beckoning you to come into his presence that you would know him. He is our example and our fulfillment that we may now go out equipped with the same love that Christ has given us to the world around us. Remember this, Jesus says, you will be cursed, persecuted, but blessed are you when that happens. Why? Because we know one day, no matter how much the world curses us, no matter how much the world rejects us, do we need their approval anyway? Now, it's not that we don't love them. We, we do. But, but won't we get the approval of the Father in heaven? And as we said last week, he will gaze into your eyes and you will feel that gaze wander into your soul. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And every ounce of human praise that could be measured up at that point won't measure up to that moment. Like God is for you. Blessed are you when you run into this, okay? And so there's our text for today, all right? Now, in light of that text, I have four really, really quick points. And I mean that, let me rephrase this. Point one, two, and four are really quick, all right? <laughs> point three, we're gonna draw out a little bit. So if you're like a note taker, we're gonna fly through point one, two, and four, and then camp out in verse three a little bit to help give some practicality as to how we can do this in our Christian life. Point one, firstly, you have to be okay with the fundamental difference between Christians and the world. 
We already talked about this, right? But so often in our Christian culture, we try to blend everything in and act like we're the same, but we're not. The Holy Spirit of God has entered into us and where there was once only poverty of spirit and darkness, there is now richness in your spirit and light. And yes, it is hidden and yes, it is not full. And yes, you still make mistakes and yes, you are hypocritical, but so is everybody else. But God is making you new and and working within you. You have to realize that there is a difference. You can't dilute so much that you lose your effectiveness, Jesus. Jesus says, as a believer, you should look different. Don't minimize this difference, even if it causes pushback. We serve neither God nor ourselves nor the world by trying to minimize this distinction. Point two, you have to accept the responsibility that this puts on you. You have to accept this responsibility. You can't hide or dilute or become unsalty which isn't even a word, but it is today, all right? You can't become unsalty. You can't lose your saltiness. John Stott once again says this, you are a light, and so you must let your light shine and not conceal it in any way, whether by sin or compromise, by laziness or by fear. Like you you see these two truths in that text, right? You're different because of that. You have a responsibility to the world around you. We are different, so you can't dilute it. This is what the text is commanding us, yes? Like, like we see that in here, right? Okay, so if that's true then, then point three, friends, okay, the one we're gonna camp out in, you have to love this world for the sake of the gospel. Once again, I know we already said this, but man, we, you have to love this world for the sake of the gospel. Helmet Thylicky, which can we just agree is an awful name? <laughs> like, I almost didn't use this quote because this is an awful, if your name in here is Helmet Thylicky, like, you should be mad at your parents, all right? It's not your fault. You didn't name yourself, all right? This is a terrible name. I might find a quote by him every week for the next 10 weeks just so I can say his name again, all right? He says this, salt and light have one thing in common. They give and expend themselves and thus are the opposite of any and every kind of self-centered religiosity. He may have an awkward name, but he has a great point, right? Like, like salt and light, they, they serve, they expend themselves, they, they give themselves for the sake of others. They are just present and they are ready to be used at any given point. As we said, salt stops decay and light illuminates darkness. Jesus often calls his followers to have a double influence on the society that they live in, to stop its decay and to share light, to spread light into the darkness. Or in common terms that we use here at the well, we say to what, serve Austin or stop his decay in some ways, and to share the gospel, to reach the lost, to be light in a dark world around us. So this world is broken, right? Yeah? Okay? Like, like you understand that? Like it doesn't take long to be on the news or on social media or talking to your neighbors or whatever it may be to realize there's a lot of brokenness in this world around us. And we have to realize that as we move Christ out more and more from society, things do not get better, but things get worse. Okay? Now, let me be really straightforward with you. I am not saying let's just bring back the good old days. That's not what I mean in that statement, okay? Because there were a lot of people in the good old days that were waving the banner of Christ that did not have Christ crucified on their hearts. And so they pretended to be Christians, but they weren't really Christians in their nature. And we see a lot of the injustices that were happening, a lot of the hypocritical, even negative examples to which I said, when salt becomes so diluted, it can even become dangerous, 
A lot of people have really mocked the faith because of these people waving the banner of Christ without the love of Christ compelling them in their hearts. So by no means am I saying, oh, everything was good back in the good old days, and now that we can't pray in school anymore, like everything's going to hell. Right? Like, like that, that's not what we're saying. But what we do see very, very evidently and very, very clearly is that where the presence of Christ is in a culture, that culture straight up, it gets better. If you are not a student of history, you should be in some ways. And look at where the Christian movement has gone. Now, remember, not those who are waving the banner of Christ, but in reality aren't living like Christ whatsoever. You don't have to be a Christian to realize these people aren't really living like the way the scripture lays this out. That's not who we're saying. But the true church, hint the word true church, wherever they have been, the world has begun to be a safer, a better, a more rich, I don't mean financially, I mean relationally, place where people are able to uh, 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 prosper really, really in who they are. Like the Imago Dei begins to come out. Like think about every single hospital name. Okay. Like, like what are 85% of hospital names? Saint blank hospital or blank Methodist hospital. Right. Do you know why that is? Go into any culture where the gospel has not spread and tell me how many hospitals they have. It was the church that started doing all this. Now we can rag on the church and we can say, oh, but where the church was present, where they were flourishing, all of a sudden we see that we cared about people's health and we weren't saying, hey, unless you convert to Christ, we're not gonna heal your leg. Like, come on in, let us heal your leg because there's a need there. Or salvation army, like salvation. <laughs> I'm surprised it's even a legal term anymore, right? Like, like there is a, or red cross, Right? Or uh, most of the early universities and schools, most of education was because Christians were realizing there's a need to help people understand things. Alcohol is anonymous, alms house for the elderly, homes for the neglected children, the fights for civil liberties. Here's one of the coolest things about this study. I'm reading two old dead guys for this study, okay? And so there's people who have been dead. They wrote about this a long time ago, right? And both of them were living in America, and both of them were living in the 1940s, which all of the civil liberty talk had not really started yet by the 1940s, if you're used to that, okay? These are two white men, and in both of their letters here in the Sermon on the Mount, both of them, with no influence of each other, one living in New England and one living in the South, talked about the need for the church to come up and to begin to start creating reconciliation between races and to start giving freedom because the black man was made in the Imago Dei as well. And there's one, in fact, uh, 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 that, that names seven different ways that we can be salt in this earth to begin to create unity where the rest of the world is creating the division. And so for sure, it may seem like there were some churches that were kind of using the scriptures to oppress, but where the true church was, where people understood the gospel correctly and tried to live that out, like that's where freedom started. And so all of the civil liberties that we experienced in the 50s and 60s were really the forefront of the church. The church was coming along. These white men who probably would have been able to gain some if they left it alone was willing to lose some because they realized that there's a need. Do you know, the, especially in the South, the, the slack that this one particular pastor caught and yet he's preaching and he writes it, right? 
No, look, civil liberties started with the church. Orphanages, they are with the church. I literally have a list of 30 things here. I'm just not going to read them all off. Like there are so many things where it's obvious where, where the church is, it stops the decay of the world. Where the world would want to see things start going reverse, the church tries to jump in without even being verbal with the gospel, just with their good works. They rub in the salt. They, they stop the decay. They begin to try to make things good. That's what the Christian does. He is salt in the world around us. Where the true church goes, we should stop the decay. Christianity is not a selfish religion. It's a selfless religion. You die to yourself and you give yourself for the sake of others. That's why following Jesus is hard because it's hard to die to yourself. But he says, if you're going to follow me, that's what you're going to do. You're going to serve. You're going to expend yourself for the sake of the gospel. And unfortunately, a lot of the times when society goes bad, we as Christians kind of throw up our holy, pious hands and goes, what's going on? Like, Like one can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. That's just what it does. The real question is, where's the salt at? Where's the salt? Are we as a church, is the church holistically stopping the decay of the world? Because where the church is present and tries to flourish, that's exactly what it does. It serves those around us. At the same time, though, we're also light. So we don't just serve and serve and serve and that's it, right? That's called social gospel when that's all that is. And uh, clearly, you don't have to be a Christian to serve those around you. Like, like that, that's clear and obvious and evident. In fact, in a lot of ways, what happens is Christians stir up the goodness in man's heart and they go, yeah, we should be serving these people. And if you look at, once again, where the gospel is spreading, like right now in India and China, where there was once a ton of, of disrespect for human life, all of a sudden, all of these things are starting to pop up. Where the church is, all of a sudden, all these places to serve are starting to pop up too. Not all of them from Christians, because the Christians really do stir up in a lot of people, the goodness or the imago day of mankind. But we don't just stick over here, but there's also a word element of the gospel. It's not just in deed, it is also in word. We believe that there really is another world, that heaven and hell are real, that people really do live forever, that when we die, that's not the end, that's the beginning. That this is not the end, that, that people are, are, are going to live forever. And so we share that even if it means our persecution. So what does this sharing look like? Like, like how, how are we supposed to share? Well, it actually means really Matthew chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 6, what Jesus already said. We cannot be good enough to attain a holy God. And that really does create mourning when we realize how sinful we actually are. But if we seek righteousness, we will find it because it is ours if you believe in Christ Jesus. And that can be done through your testimony, how God has saved you through that reality. That could be done just in sharing. That can be done in so many different ways. But the Christian shares the gospel. We know that we don't have what it takes. But we realize that there is one who did Jesus. And we want to point people to that because we want the same light, the same freedom that we've experienced to be experienced in the world around us. Like when I sit there and I start hearing the people around me singing and I realize the goodness of God and I feel the freedom that's come in my heart, like I want everybody to feel that. I want everybody to see that because I remember what it was like when I didn't have that. And so we want to share with others. 
two very practicals, okay, to help us today. I have two very, very practical things. One of them is a strategy that we kind of have at the well, and we said we want to reach people where we live, work, and play, where we live our neighborhoods, right, where we work or our school maybe if we're a full-time student, and where we play the gym, basketball, soccer leagues, coffee shops, the bars you go to, whatever it may be, where we live, work, and play, who is God putting on your heart that you can begin to share the truth of the gospel with them that they may realize the goodness of our Savior and the beauty of the gospel that they may have light dwelling within them. Austin Deardorff has tried to do this at his job, okay? And so we shot a video of Austin uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he's done a couple of different things to try to integrate this idea of being light in his workplace, in his secular right workplace. He's done some very bold things that have seen some pretty cool fruit. So there's a video of Austin, actually. Let's, uh, let's watch it now. All right. 
And so that's what Austin's done, right? Like, very simple. You want, do you want to read the Bible once a week? And so we actually have some tools. What Austin actually uses a tool that we developed early on in our church that is just walking through the Gospel of John. And so there's no homework required. Literally what happens is the person comes in. You can have them download the Bible on their app if they don't have one. You just say, hey, read one chapter. You start week one, John one, week two, John two, week three, John three, etc. But we give you an opportunity with this little packet. It's really simple and short, but how every single chapter in John points to the gospel. And so every single week you get to draw back to the truth of the gospel, but also see some of the other beautiful truths that are in scripture that people often don't realize is there. So it's very, very simple. We have a bunch of other tools too. If you want uh, more information on them, mark that on your card. Or if you know Todd Watkins, talk to Todd. He has a lot of uh, resources that, that he can give you. And so it's really simple. Like, like how can you be light in your workplace? Okay. Um, what if you lived purposeful? Like, what if you lived on purpose without your light hidden? What if you shined? A second opportunity that we have is something that we're doing here in a few weeks called uh, Neighbors to Nations, okay? And Todd Watkins has, for several weeks now, been going around the East Austin community right here around the well. So the 78702 and 22 zip codes. And he's just been working through the different neighborhoods, just kind of sharing the gospel with people, going, knocking on doors, saying, hey, we're, we're praying for the community. Can we pray for you? And if they say yes and there's interest, then you continue on. If they say no, that's great. You pray for their house anyway when you leave, and that's kind of it. And it's really, really simple. It's kind of what some people would call cold turkey evangelism, which has fallen on hard times, but two of my three mentors got saved that way. And so it's been impactful for my personal life, so I'm glad somebody shared with them. Right? And so he's just going to go around, and it's really simple. Listen, it's 10 weeks, okay? And so if you're interested in that, on your communication card, you can write in uh, uh, Neighbors to Nations or end to end. We'll, we'll know what that means, okay? And we'll give you more information on that. 10 weeks. If you don't like it at the end of the 10 weeks or if that's not really your style or whatever it may be, man, you don't have to continue on. But what I do promise you is it will really embolden your ability to share the gospel, and it will give you courage in a lot of ways because you'll realize, as Austin was saying in the video, it's a lot easier than we often make it out to be. In fact, I think the enemy would try to create fear within us so that we won't have to share. I've been out with Todd before and myself. I, I feel fear when I go out and then at the end of it, I'm like, man, let's go. And then I go share the gospel at baristas or wherever it may be. And I'm, I'm emboldened, right, because of that opportunity. And so you'll hear more about that, but that'll start up in about three to four weeks. Todd will be with you. Todd will train you. He'll walk with you through that. And then hopefully through that, we can get groups of people that is able to bless this area right here. Like we're gonna go right around this where Campbell meets so that we can be the light here, even in this area, not just serving this area, though we do in multiple ways, but also being the light in this area. And so what does it look like for the Christian to do that? And yes, I did do an announcement right in the middle of my sermon. Okay. That's all right. Some of you are like the middle, don't worry, it's the end. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I had a heart attack, right? <laughs> Like, what do we do? Knowing that there will be persecution, knowing that a lot of times when we give messages on evangelism, we feel this like conviction because we know we're supposed to. So it puts a weight on us. But Christianity is really clear that there should be no weight on you. This is why the fourth point is an extremely important point. And it's our last point. And we're going to bust through it. But if you've been at the well here for a while, you know this is true. Isn't Jesus our perfect example and fulfillment here? Isn't he the salt and light where we fail to be at times? Jesus is the perfect and ultimate light of the world. You don't have to turn here because it's going to be on the screen, but listen to just a couple of these texts. There are literally dozens of them, okay? John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Over and over and over again, there are references to Jesus being our light. Why? Because we were spiritually poor. We had no light within us, yet the light came down to earth to illuminate our paths that he may draw us to himself. The one who said four very simple words, let there be light, and light exploded into the universe and existed and is expanding even until today. That very same God came down light concealed in human frame. And if you know the story of the gospel well, you know what happened when Jesus went on that cross. He was hanging on the cross and the gospel says that for three hours, the whole world went dark because the light of life was dying the man who spoke light into existence, the one who there will be no more need for a son when we are in heaven because he is our light. That man, when he was dying on the cross, literally the light began to rescind from the world. And it was almost as if everything around was going black. Why did that happen? Why is Jesus not just our example of sharing the gospel with us, but also our fulfillment? It's because the light of the world came down and became darkness so that you and I who have nothing but darkness inside of us can now have light dwelling eternally. Hallelujah. Amen. This is our savior. This is Jesus. The man who came down that's full of light became dark so that you and I who are dark may be full of light. And this is the beauty of the gospel. And this is what we have to see and we have to realize that Jesus is our fulfillment of that so that even when we do fall short, we have the perfect light. But as we gaze upon and think about and look at this beautiful light, as we remember the goodness of our Savior, that compels us, 2 Corinthians 5 says, to then go out and love and to serve the world around us, even if that means persecution, to love those with our deeds so that they may stop the decay of the world and be a better person because of it, realize their imago day, but not just that, that we we may share that they too may partake in the beauty of the light of the gospel. You have the ability to do that, friends. Jesus has given you a commission that you would be able to change the course of eternity with your words. The one who said, let there be light has given you the same power in your words that if you say to somebody, man, come to the light, they may, and their whole eternity will be changed. They will go from darkness to light. This is the power that we have. Friends, we have to realize we are poor in spirit. Find our righteousness in Christ. Be meek and merciful and peacemakers to the world around us. And even if they persecute us, be salt and light in this world that needs it. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I I know that there are times that I hide my light, God, that I, I, I don't live as if the light of Christ is dwelling inside of me. I, I live as if I don't know the truth, but, but I do know the truth that I've seen you, God. And so I personally repent, God, for times where I am slow to share that with others. Thank you for the men and women who were bold enough to share that with me, even though I once persecuted them. Thank you for them, God. Would you bless them even right now? Lord, every single one of us in here had to hear the gospel from somebody. Would you bless those who shared the gospel with us? 
That every person here who is a Christian, at some point, they have received the goodness of the gospel, the light of life. Would you bless them even right now, God? And then would you help us to share? Even right now, Holy Spirit, would you put on our hearts people, opportunities, different places that we would be able to share the truth of the goodness of you, Christ, that you loved us so much that you were willing to be persecuted to the point of death, to the point of drinking the wrath of God so that we may live forever with you. Thank you for that truth, Jesus. I pray that we would continue to live in that. I also know as, as we're really still praying, I know that there are some of you in here who, who may have never said yes to this light of life. You may uh, realize, I mean, you're trying to seek Jesus, find him out, Maybe not. Maybe somebody drug you to church today, but for some reason, the the goodness of the gospel was made clear. I want you to know that even today, even right now, even at this very moment, you can exit the darkness, enter into the light, feel the light of Christ dwell inside of you for eternity. All of your history, all of your past mistakes can be paid for, all of your future laid out before you that Jesus can illuminate the path to himself. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And God, I pray that even right now, some of us would make that decision for the first time. Some of us would make that decision maybe for the 50th time. We would choose to follow you again. Forgive us of our darkness, God. Thank you for being light. Help us to see you more clearly. We pray this in your very precious name, Jesus. Amen.